Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New England. England. Welcome to our first episode of 2023. Very exciting and our first episode back after a holiday hiatus. Quite a long one, might I add. Yeah, I know. We took a little extra vacay, but I feel like we needed it this year. I feel like we super needed it this year. So thank you guys for letting us have that. Not that you had a say in the matter, (laughs) Um, but we also hope that your holidays were wonderful, that you got to spend a lot of time with your family. Um, And if you don't like your family, then you didn't have to talk to them, I hope. Um, And I hope you just had a lot of love and merry feelings over this holiday break. Yeah. How was so nice. How was your holiday? Let's see. It was good. Um... My mom had COVID and I didn't want to go over to the house. Understand. So we did like a gift exchange where I dropped off their gifts outside and right. like my gift was waiting for me and I was like waving uh, through the door. Right. Oh. <laughs> but then I came home and ate pad thai with my cat. So it honestly was kind of ideal. That sounds like the perfect Christmas. It was kind of ideal. Little to no interaction with the family. <laughs> pad thai. And then Salem, your cat, who is easily the love of your life and also mine probably she's the best (laughs) so that's that's great did you have a nice holiday i i did i did um we you know we my whole family my cousins and my aunts and uncles we all get together on christmas eve and uh, it was a little hard it was the first one without my grandma but it was a lot of love and a lot of laughter we had a good time i was spoiled with gifts um, I got a lot of great stuff, including a vacuum, oh, yeah. which I'm very excited about. It works amazing. Um, and then I worked Christmas night, uh, which was, I worked Christmas Eve last year. Doesn't really affect me very much, um, because it's nighttime, so I can still participate in day things. But it was nice. Yeah, I got a lot of nice stuff, a lot of love. Always love spending time with my parents. I miss them all the time when I'm in Maine. So it was nice. Good. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. And then now it's 2023, which is disgusting. <laughs> so wild. Remember, like, 2020? <sighs> Throwback. It's like 10 years ago. Literally, it feels like forever. 2023. Oh, it's such an ugly number, too. I'm yeah. sorry. I can't help it. <laughs> I hate it. I hated being 23 years old as well, because it just felt like such an ugly number. I know. That and 19. I was like, what is the point of this number? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Let's skip it. But yeah, we hope you guys were spoiled with whatever holiday you celebrate. I hope you guys got lots of presents if you guys give presents. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and don't do holidays or presents or gift giving. I hope you... I hope you had some time with your family, ate a nice meal. I hope you just lived life to the best, the fullest. (laughs) Enjoyed the weather. It's been kind of warm. Yeah. Um, Except for that we had a big windstorm. Um, recently at the time of this recording. And that was pretty scary. A lot of people lost power. I did not. Did you? No. Yeah. You're on the the hospital grid. Mm -hmm. 
That's nice. Yeah, so I was lucky because I have a lot of reptiles that if That's right. the power went out, they would all also go out. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they're good. Oh, thank God. <laughs> right. But yeah, I feel like we were spoiled with the amount of bias of coffees that we got over our holiday hiatus. Insanity. Let's see. Kelly L. bought us each a coffee. Thanks, Kelly. So nice. Dilly bought us each a coffee. Thank you, Dilly. Brittany bought us each a coffee. Brittany, so nice of you. Someone. Oh. And I say that because that was the name that they put. Mm. Someone, to be anonymous, shattered our record (laughs) in an event I didn't even know was possible Mm. and bought us 10 coffees. 10 coffees. And we also had another person, Erin, who also bought us 10 coffees. That is so generous. I didn't know that you could do that. I know. Because the max on the buy us a coffee thing is five. Yeah. It's crazy. So that is so sweet, guys. Thank you so much. Someone and Erin truly just touches our heart. Oh, my God. It's insane. And even if you guys, like, click the link. To buy us a coffee and don't actually buy us a coffee. Even the fact that you're here listening now, we appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. So thank you guys. Dilly and Erin and Kelly, all of you. Thank you. It's very nice. nice. We we really appreciate it. I think, Katie, you make a good point in saying you don't have to buy us coffee. You don't have to buy us anything. The fact that you listen is like enough. It's totally enough. Um, we get some great support on our social media and our email, and it's really refreshing to just see, you know, we start to have people that we know now because of the podcast that are, like, messaging us, and it's like, oh, I know who that is because we've talked to them before. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. It's so nice. Yeah, it's great. So, thank you, guys. Um, in true, true crime New England fashion, today our case is awful, and I think that sets us apart from the, no, all true crime <laughs> podcasts. We just cover awful, awful stuff. Um, this case is particularly awful, which reminds me of something that we, me and Katie have decided we need to do a call to action. Guys, we used to think that Rhode Island was our least talked about state. We were worried that we would run out of Rhode Island cases. Um, a quick control F search in the master spreadsheet I found, you know, we have, I found that the least amount of states stories we have is Vermont. We have like so little compared to literally even Rhode Island. So if you guys are from Vermont, have family from Vermont, heard a story about something from Vermont, literally anything from Vermont, a robbery, a jewel heist, a burglary, (laughs) a larceny, those are all like the same thing. An abduction, a murder, a a kidnapping that ended with a happy result, literally anything, a boat sinking, plane crashes, (laughs) uh, an earthquake. I don't care. Just help us. Just help. Help us, please. Because we're running out, which is unfortunate. So whether it's a full episode kind of case or a case profile, mini episode kind of case, send them our way. Please, Jesus. Please Please, help us. Please, Lord. (laughs) In this year of 2023, I will be begging the Lord more often. (laughs) So, guys, please help us out. But, yeah, speaking of Vermont, that's where we're taking you guys today with our case. Um, It's pretty brutal. It's really lots of twisties, turnies, a lot of sad 
aspects naturally. And then kind of like just the end, you know, when you find out with the resolution and all that, it's like, what the, what the hell? How dumb can people be? (laughs) Truly. Which I think ultimately it's good we have some dumb people because they're the ones that end up getting caught. So, and without further ado, today we will be covering the the abduction and murder of Melissa Jenkins. All right, just because it is a new year, new me, doesn't mean it's a new format. (laughs) Katie, your sources, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. I had Mass Live, Oxygen, Vermont Wiki, CBS News, and the Burlington Free Press. Nice. I had, honestly, one of my favorite resources I've used, Kylie's True Crime Blog, also known as It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere. I love her stuff. She has great great information. Um, Vermont Digger, CBS News, ABC News, findlaw.com, Burlington Free Press, the Vermont Fandom Wiki, and Find a Grave. Those are my sources. Damn. Yeah, I really went all out. I went all out. I couldn't help it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Katie, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about who Melissa Jenkins is? Oh, man. Melissa Jenkins, she was 33 years old, and she was a beloved school teacher who taught at the St. Johnsbury Academy in rural Johnsbury, Vermont. She taught science, and she was also the coach for the girls' basketball team. She was very well-liked, very well-known in her community. I mean, it's such a small town and a small community anyway. Yeah, very rural, like you said. Yes, they were up near Canada almost. Like, that's way up at the tip of Vermont. Oh, yeah. up there. (laughs) But yeah, in a small community, the fact that you're a teacher and you're a coach for a sports team like that, like everybody knew who she was. Mm -hmm. She also worked part-time as a waitress at the Creamery Restaurant because apparently even a prestigious school can't pay their teachers enough not to have to work a second job. Oh, God. But Melissa was very hardworking and she busted her ass in everything she did. She was also known as being someone who would go out of their way to help another person, Mm -hmm. which we will get into in a short while. Yes. It really makes me sad that someone's good traits and what makes them such a good person can be used and abused against them. It really breaks my heart because that's such a good trait to have, you know, being a good person, being helpful, quick to jump and help anyone, and then it being used against you. And ending in such a tragic way. It's horrible. And it's scary. So, like you said, Katie, Melissa was so well-loved. She was a beautiful young lady. And um, unfortunately, her life was taken from her way too soon. On March 25th of 2012, there was a call that came into the Vermont State Police from a man who happened to be Melissa's ex-boyfriend. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. This automatically sounds suspicious. Hold off a second. I think this is the only time we can say the boyfriend didn't do it. So he just, hold your reservations. (laughs) Because I was like, I read that and I was like, oh, he did it. And then I read like two sentences more and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, And also, I never got a name for him. No, me either. I think he stayed anonymous. Um, So like I said, it was Melissa's ex-boyfriend. Despite not being in a romantic relationship, they were still friends, um, and that is 
a possible thing that can happen. Um, so this ex-boyfriend claims that he got a call from Melissa that night and she had said that she had gotten a call from someone and she was going to go help them because they had car problems. According to the ex, Melissa sounded quote weird, not like herself, almost like she was a little worried or perhaps nervous to go help this person. So Melissa did tell her ex that this person she was going to go help was someone she knew a little bit. He had actually um, plowed her driveway before in the winter. Um, so she knew him enough. And so Melissa then shared with the ex that she called him because she felt a little uncomfortable and a little uneasy and she just wanted to tell someone. And also in true murderino fashion, she gave... Um, she gave the phone number of the person who called to her ex-boyfriend to be like, just in case, here's, you know, kind of the basics, just in case if I go missing, right? You and I, Katie, have done that for each other many 100%. times. I've done that with several of my friends where I'm like, okay, I, you know, in college, I'd be like, okay, I'm going on a date with this guy from Tinder. And I'd send it to my roommate and our other really good friend. And I'd say, his name is this. This is the kind of car he drives. Um, this is a picture of him. And this is his phone number and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So in this day and age, it's a really proactive thing to do. Right. And it's a lot easier because like, we both have each other's location. We both know yep. we're on top of it. Yep. But back in the day, like, you can't... It's not as easy. No. And I mean, 2012 obviously isn't that long ago, but back then, like, you and I, Katie, and you did this when you went to Colorado, you sent me, literally just press a button and I can see where your phone is at at all times. That, I don't think, really was around so much in 2012. So she did, like, an equivalent. Right. You know, here's his phone number. This is who called me. Great. Right. And even if that was a thing, they are in rural-ass Vermont. Yep. So the fact that she's going to go help someone, their car's broken down, you know, what if she gets down there and it's a dirt road with no signal, you know, she's just, she's being proactive the best way she can. Right. And she's still being a good person despite being, like, feeling that uneasiness. Yeah. Discomfort in the situation, which... Listen, I relate to that a lot, where even if something makes me uncomfortable, I just want to help people. So knowing that, like, she pushed that feeling down, mm -hmm. I empathize with her because she just wanted to help. And that's – she's a teacher. She's a coach. She That's how she is. Right. You know? So after a while, the ex had not heard from her. And so he was like, I'm going to go find her myself. I think he still liked her a little bit. <laughs> um, and so he went and he went to go look for her. Um, and he actually <laughs> – he found her car. Um, it was on Goss Hollow Road, which was interesting, like you just said, Katie, ill-lit and dirt, um, but it was fairly close to her house. And so what was interesting was her car was idling, so it had been left on. He looked in the car. He could not. Melissa wasn't there. But in the back seat was her two-year-old son who was sleeping unharmed in the back seat. Can you imagine the feeling I would have gotten, like, no way in hell would Melissa have just, like, la la la, off into the forest Bye. at night. Like, yeah, good luck, little two-year-old. Yeah. You can fend for yourself. No way. She was known to love her son so fucking much. That's why she worked two jobs. Is exactly. Because she technically was a single mom at that point. Like, yes. they were co-parenting and they were doing a great job. But yeah. 
It was mostly her. It, and just to note, this ex-boyfriend is not the father of the boy. His name was Ty. Um, that is not his father. But like you said, there was co-parenting relationships. Everything was like as normal as it could be. Mm-hmm. So her son being in the backseat of his car in the dark, ill-lit dirt road at night, unlike her. And the way that the time frame was, like, Melissa had told her ex-boyfriend, I got this call at, like, 8.30 at night-ish. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and see. Yeah. Two hours, over two hours had gone by, and the ex-boyfriend hadn't heard from her. So now this is pushing 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. A two-year-old should be in bed yeah. at home. Right. Safe. Right. Yeah. Not in an idling, abandoned car. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. So then, naturally, the police were called once more. The ex-boyfriend, you know, was like, hey, this is where I am. I found her car. Her son is here, but she's missing. How eerie. I know. Ugh. So police get there, and they find the similar scene. There's footprints all over the place, and there is signs of a struggle, which is most evidently noted by the fact that they find one of Melissa's shoes. That's, ugh. Like, her shoe came off in a struggle. Yeah, that's scary. And they also found tire tracks, like, leading. And they weren't just Melissa's tire tracks. It's so crazy because the investigators are able to tell that the tire marks from that other vehicle, um, they sped away from the scene. The way that, I guess, that they were maybe indicated that they just accelerated very fast and, like, whipped out of there. Which is... Very suspicious, right? And, of course, like you noted, it was not her tire tracks. And obviously her car was still there. So that's, like, red flag number 18 at this point. For sure. So the police kind of thought the same thing that we were initially thinking and you guys were probably initially thinking. We got to look at the ex-boyfriend first. Right. He checked out pretty quick. Like, they cleared him ASAP. Yep. They're searching the car. They're searching Melissa's house. And based on what the ex-boyfriend was telling them, like, yeah, you know, Melissa said that she kind of knew this guy and she didn't, she felt uncomfortable, but it wasn't like a total stranger. And he, Mm -hmm. you know, he used to plow her driveway and that's really weird. And Mm -hmm. they go to Melissa's house and they find a business card for a plowing company, a snowplow company. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So police are like, wow, that's so wild. I wonder if it could be. (laughs) Wait a second. Yeah, maybe let's. And they also had a little bit of a light bulb moment because the ex-boyfriend was like, yeah, Melissa, part of the reason she could have been feeling uncomfortable about going to see this guy is because when he used to plow her driveway, Mm -hmm. he would hit on her. Yeah. He asked her out on dates several times. He was very persistent. Very. And it got to the point where Melissa was so uncomfortable, she had to ask him to stop plowing her driveway. Right. That's very serious. And again, I think this is just so sad because she's such a good person. Even though this guy made her uncomfortable because he kept hitting on her and hitting on her, she still wanted to help. Which I think speaks to her truly warm heart. Truly. So that makes it all the more tragic. Of course. And this guy had actually, she told him, okay, I don't want you plowing my driveway anymore. I'm sure she said it nicer than that. But he actually came back. This was in 2010 Mm -hmm. where he was plowing her driveway and she had to ask him not to anymore politely. He actually came back the next fall in 2011. He showed up at her house 
in the middle of the night drunk. Ooh, I didn't know that. Like, hammered, slurring, practically begging her, you have to let me plow for you again. Oh, God. You have to let me plow your driveway again. She was like, you need to leave now, please. (laughs) Like, so nice. Over a year later, or almost a year later, yeah. he showed up at her house drunk. I did not know that part. Mm-hmm. That's disturbing. So it's like harassment, like years of... Yeah. Absolutely. And the fact that she still went to go help him. I know. She's such a good person. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So obviously they kind of get this information and they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And of course they still, like you said, they ruled out the ex-boyfriend. Um, they ended up taking like his boots and comparing them to the footprints and it was not a match, which I don't think is a lot of evidence, but I he's fine. So we know that it's okay, but whatever. And like I said earlier, they had to look into the ex-husband or I don't know if, I guess I don't know if they were married, but her son's dad. Right. And he lived over 80 miles away in um, Burlington. So he was cleared. And then, so they have the two exes and they're like, okay, looked into that. Good. Let's keep thinking about this uh, business card. Oh, and the fact that he was harassing her drunk because she didn't want him to plow for him. any, you know, she didn't want him plowing for her. And he, she also wasn't interested. Right. And it's also important to note that, um, this guy was married and the wife knew the whole time, you know, she wanted a piece of Melissa as well, which is interesting. Not going to judge anyone's sexual preferences at all. It's more of who these two were and what they were doing to get to Melissa. And what they did after the fact. It became an obsession. Very obviously given by him coming to her house drunk a year later. Are you serious? Right. And not taking no for an answer. Like, the more that she politely turned him down, it seemed to fuel him wanting to try harder. That's so messy. Which is awful. Like, that's so rapey. So rapey. Like, hello? Yes. No, that's such a good point. It's so... Ugh. That's... It's a terrible, like, adjective or adverb to use, but... He was being so rapey. Yeah. So this guy is 30-year-old Alan Prue. Mm-hmm. He was known as a jack-of-all-trades type. Um, he just did kind of like odd jobs around the town making money. And his wife, 33-year-old Patricia Prue, she was a whole other mm. <laughs> whole other ball of wax. Yeah, she was um interesting. Definitely interesting. They were the kind of couple that I feel like would be passing monster back and forth to each other at like a Walgreens, you know, and just like one's wearing pajama pants and the other is wearing a tube top and just not (laughs) a good image. When you think of white trash, I feel like someone similar embodying that stereotype comes to mind that matches this couple, like, what they look like. Especially Patricia. Yeah. And they're awful people. They're not nice people. No. Um, we'll get into that, but just... Yeah. Just hold on to that bit. <laughs> that they are the equivalent of, like... You know when you're, like, walking in an alley and there's, like, a pile <laughs> of dirt that has, like, maybe, like, an old crumpled Bud Light can? That's them. <laughs> Respectfully. Um, and remember, these are not good people. Okay? I'm not crapping on any victims. These people are murderers. All right. I'm sorry. Um, so 
obviously the investigation, they're like, okay, ex-boyfriend, ex-husband, whatever, good, checked off, they're fine. Here's a business card. That is weird. But we're forgetting one thing. Melissa left her son in the car. He's two, He was like two and a half. So he could probably like say a few words and not speak like quite full sentences, right? So they actually brought in a child specialist who specialized in child interviews. And she talked to Ty, the little boy. And um, it was interesting because he actually proved to be kind of helpful in a way. Yeah. In his own two-year-old way. So according to release documents, Ty, I'm going to say told the police, but told is loose. He told the police that his mom was in the car with a, quote, boy, and also, quote, Michael Jordan, which is very cute. I, I'm guessing that's one of the, you know, his, somebody he looked up to, you know, he's a little boy, but that was how he described the person. Um, and also Ty said his mommy, quote, had been crying. And when he said this, it was very interesting. He was reaching at his neck and he was like pulling at the back of his neck. Mm-hmm. And so the investigators were like, Sorry, what are you, Ty? Oh, hey, buddy, you want juice? What are you doing to your neck? And they basically interpreted it as Melissa was probably strangled by a boy in Michael Jordan or whatever, you know? So that actually proved to be very helpful. And not to kind of tell you guys how it went, but he was right, you know? So it, it was actually a very good lead that they followed. Within a few days, uh, they kind of were like, I don't think she's alive anymore. Um, if the two-year-old is even remotely indicating that she was having maybe been strangled, they kind of turned their investigation to a body recovery versus mm-hmm. finding someone alive. And they looked everywhere. And for some reason, they had an inkling. They were like, maybe like we should check here. They checked ditches. They checked parks. They checked you know, everywhere. And then they were like, there's a boat launch in the Connecticut river, about 10 miles away from where her car was. And they were like, why don't we just check there? And so they did. And that was a good idea. Um, because they noticed something sticking out of the water. Yeah. So on March 26th, 2012, the next day after she was murdered, Melissa's body was found. Her cause of death was ruled as strangulation, and she was covered in bruises. Like, all over her body. So, like you said, it was the body of Melissa Jenkins. Scuba teams were called in to retrieve her body. Um, She was in very shallow water. Um, She was nude and, like you said, covered in bruises all over her body. Um, She had been tied down with ropes attached to cinder blocks, and... She was covered in branches, which, I mean, was probably done to try and hide her body. The medical examiner said that he'd found even more bruises that probably didn't show up right away because she was in cold water, and that she had several, quote, circular injuries along many parts of her body. This was estimated to be a result from a stun gun. So she was being continuously, like, zapped over and over again. Mm -hmm. And... Interestingly enough, the medical examiner determined Melissa's cause of death as manual strangulation, which is exactly what her two-year-old son alluded to. Kind of impressive. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. It's nuts. 
So the night that Melissa went missing, 30-year-old snowplow driver, jack-of-all-trades asshole, Alan, and his wife, Patricia, they had actually called Melissa from a remote location on the side of the road from a burner phone, and they told her that they needed help. First of all, red flag. Right. Not that she would have known it was a burner phone, but red flag. Right. And the fact that they're on the side of the road waiting because they knew that she was nice and they knew that she had a reputation for helping people and that that would be the best way to get her out there mm-hmm. alone on a remote road. Mm-hmm. The two had been driving around and their goal was that they were looking to get a girl. Ugh. And they both were like, oh, you know what? Let's give Melissa a call. Yeah. Because I bet she'll come. I, I bet she'll come through, and we can do what we need to do to her. That's awful. Melissa went, of course, because she was concerned. She's like, "Oh my god, are they okay?" Yeah. When she got there, Alan grabbed her from behind and strangled her almost immediately as she got out of the car. Yeah. Like she's opening her car door, and like, he's there coming up to her. Right. She was half in her car and like half out of the car. He pulled her from her car, and then put her in his. Right. And this is exactly what Melissa's son meant, where his mommy was crying and she was strangled. Right. Right. When the couple got Melissa in the backseat of their car, Patricia also began strangling Melissa and stunned her with the stun gun several times. Yeah. Because she was screaming and flailing and trying to help and save herself. And in that struggle, that's when she lost her shoe. Mm -hmm. One of her shoes, Mm -hmm. and also her cell phone was left at the scene as well. Yeah. After the two strangled Melissa, tased her, like, tortured her, they realized that she was dead. Yeah. So they drove home, back to their house, where they stripped Melissa's body of clothing. They stripped naked themselves. Mm -hmm. They wrapped her body, her clothes, and their clothes in a tarp. And they drenched, like, doused everything in bleach, thinking that would help get rid of fingerprints and evidence and DNA. And they then put the tarp in their car with Melissa's body, their clothes, her clothes, just dripping in bleach in the back of their car. And they drove to the boat access where they dumped her body in the Connecticut River, weighed it down with cinder blocks and covered it with branches and brush to try to conceal where her body was. And obviously that didn't do such a great job because less than a day later, they were like, what's this now? And uh, just awful. Like even their concealing skills are inadequate. Oh my god, and the fact that they're like, oh shit, she's dead, what do we do? Quick strip naked? Yeah, like what did you think was going to happen? You're strangling her. Did they drive to the boat launch still naked and like, don't, like, what the fuck? I know, that's a good question. Wouldn't put it past them. Oh my god. So they actually burned the tarp and their clothes across state lines in New Hampshire. Alright, so let's talk about real quick how the police piece this together. Obviously, the business card was a big factor. Also, not too long after they found Melissa's body, they were able to get an access to her cell phone records. It all unfolds in such a beautiful, satisfying way. So it turns out that on March 25th, a little before she called her ex-boyfriend, 
um, she received a phone call from, you know, whoever. And that call came from a burner phone, like you said. The police were like, a burner phone? This is weird. They were able to track down where this burner phone was bought. And it was bought from a store in Littleton, New Hampshire. And it was actually even determined that the cell phone, I mean, well, the burner phone, had pinged off cell phone towers that were directly near where Melissa's car was found. And even the side of the river where her body was found. Huh. So they were like, okay, surveillance footage. Let's take a look. Store owners, do you remember this? Etc. Etc. So, um, they actually talked to the store owners. The investigators did. And their luck grew 10 times the size because they learned that the person who had purchased the phone paid with a check. <laughs> The burner phone to, you know, people buy to, like, hide themselves, bought with a fucking check. <laughs> and you know what you have to do on a check? Guys, I know if you're young, you don't maybe know this because checks are kind of going out of style. You have to, your name is on the check. Like, it's in your bank account. So in the corner, it'll say Katie King, Liz Corey. Um, and if you have, like, a joint account, it'll say both of our names, right? It literally said Patricia Prue on it. <laughs> She had signed her name and everything. So they were like, are you, is she that dumb? Like what? <laughs> so of course they were like, that sounds like the name that was on the business card. And it was all coming together. This is the interesting part though. Before the police could even get a hold of Patricia and Alan, they came to the police station themselves because Patricia was claiming her ex-husband was trying to steal her identity. <laughs> you know that part? No. Who would want to be her? Is my question. So yes, you know, they were, Patricia was like, my ex-husband, he's trying to be me. I don't know what's going on. And then they were like, oh, that sucks. By the way, <laughs> have you heard about this local woman? She was murdered. You know, that's so crazy. And they were like, oh, Melissa? Yeah, I plowed for her once. And they were really like casual and quiet about it. And, um, they claimed that, you know, after they plowed her driveway last year, that was it. She They no longer, you know, plowed for her. And when they were asked about their whereabouts on March 25th of 2012, which was like a few days before, <laughs> Alan told the police, he was like, well, we ran errands in Littleton, New Hampshire. We got dinner through a drive through And then we were in bed at the crisp hour of 730. No way. <laughs> yep. And they were like... Okay. So they actually, the they left the police station on their own will. They were not being interrogated. They were not under arrest. Um, but what they didn't know was that they were then under surveillance from that point forward. And they were watched very closely. And so actually, it's very funny because the police, they gained access to the surveillance footage of the store where the burner phone was bought with the check with her name on it. <laughs> confirmed that it was them. They even took surveillance footage from the diner that they, like, they drove through, you know, and the, got their dinner. And that did corroborate their story. They did go to that diner. Um, they were seen pulling through and Alan was wearing a ball cap, um, that was found next to Melissa's car. So if you guys want to talk about lazy murderers, <laughs> this is them. They checked all of the boxes of like what not to do. Burner phone. Great. Bought it with a personal check. Went to a diner, wore a hat. Lost said hat at crime scene. <laughs> right? 
business card on table. <laughs> History of harassing said victim. So bad. It's it's honestly really sad how <laughs> terribly off they were. Oh, and it gets worse. And it gets so much worse. Alan and Patricia met online in mm. 2008. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. I know of many people that met online and they're very happy. Yes. But they met on whitetrash.com. <laughs> Just kidding. Alan had gone down to Long Island to pick up Patricia as someone who's from New York, red flag numero uno. <laughs> Already. <laughs> She was supposed to stay with Alan for what was supposed to be two weeks. Okay. But she never left. Ew. They got very serious very quickly. And then soon after they got married, the couple started looking for other partners to have sex with them. Which is, you know, fine, whatever, do your thing. Mm -hmm. But it was mostly Patricia Mm -hmm. who was driving this. Yeah. Granted, she was... A lot of the articles you'll see, she was bisexual and she wanted to have her marriage and also bring in another girl for them. Right. Alan was pretty apprehensive, but Patricia was pretty forceful, like, no, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, I mean, I guess if that's what you want, if that's what will make you happy, like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And they would meet other people online and bring them back to Patricia's trailer mm. for threesomes. Delicious. <laughs> Red flag number two. 17. <laughs> when Alan and Patricia said that they were driving around to get a girl and they just happened to have a light bulb moment about, oh, let's call Melissa. Mm-hmm. Police believe their motives were to forcefully kidnap a woman and then force her to have sex with them. Like their fantasies went from, oh, let's have someone online consensually come over and consensually have a threesome with us. Right. Fine. Nothing wrong Great. with that. Again. Fun. If awesome. you're into that, cool. Great. When your fantasy starts like, oh, I think it would be so hot if we were driving around on the prowl looking for a girl and then we kidnap her and make her have a threesome with us. That's where we're looking at like prison. Yeah. So after they were arrested, Alan maintains that it wasn't his intention to use force, mm. which is bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Patricia also said she had nothing to do with the murders. She's just a dainty little lady. (laughs) Which is also bullshit because the records from her computer showed that she Googled, quote, how to kidnap a girl. (laughs) Oh. The couple also purchased a stun gun Mm. and, of course, the burner phone that they used to call Melissa. Right. And Patricia had been stalking Melissa. Mm. I'm not sure if Patricia was jealous because she knew that Alan used to plow for her and he showed up at the house drunk when this is all when they were married. Right. Right. So I think maybe part of it was Patricia is jealous. Like, Oh, I have to be the one to pick the girl. I have to be the one to, you know, organize the threesome. And I'm the one that has to be attracted to the third person. And Alan has to be attracted to me and do the threesome because I'm saying we're going to do it. Right. Not Alan is attracted to another woman. Mm -hmm. That doesn't fly. Right. A potential murder for the kidnapping and murder was also revenge for Melissa turning Alan down. Right. Right. So I feel like he took it personally. Yeah. Patricia took it personally that Alan was after Melissa. They know Melissa is like an angel sent from above who would help anybody in their 
hour of need. Right. Perfect storm. It's awful. Except the two of them are idiots. Dunces. <laughs> Absolute dingleberries. Like they found the body not even 24 hours after they murdered her. Yeah. Because they left like a fucking Hansel and Gretel trail of clues. Literally. Like, oh my God. Let me buy this burner phone with a check. A personalized check. What? Ooh, where'd my hat go? It must have have left it at the diner we drove through. Like, you're a fool. It's literally so dumb. It's awful and embarrassing for them. So, naturally, the couple was arrested and charged with Melissa's murder because, well, they did it. And it was kind of obvious um, Alan's trial happened first in October of 2014, and of course he maintained his innocence. In fact, his defense was that it was Patricia <laughs> who was the mastermind and that she was the one who wanted to kidnap and kill Melissa. In court during his sentencing in December of 2014, Alan stated, The one thing I am guilty of is bringing the person who committed this crime to Vermont, and for that I'm truly sorry. Wow. Both Alan and his mom pinned the blame on Patricia. Oh, God. Mommy dearest. Mommy dearest. She was pissed that this woman came into Alan's life and it was a whirlwind love story and relationship. And she started living with him and took him away from her. And yeah. Ew. Creepy. A little creepy. Yeah. But his mom pulled the nice little sunny boy would never hurt another woman. Right. Um, well, he did, so... <laughs> kind of actually did a lot of that. <laughs> the medical examiner who performed the autopsy, his name was Dr. Stephen Shapiro, he testified in Allen's trial and said that um, both the Prus had most definitely attacked and killed Melissa because the damage done to her body could not have possibly been done by herself. Like, that's that's damage done by a beating, not something she would cause, you know? Alan was eventually convicted of first-degree murder, attempted kidnapping, and conspiracy to commit murder. He was sentenced to life in prison for the attempted kidnapping, 50 years to life for the actual murder, and a five-year probated sentence for conspiracy to commit murder with four years to serve. He was also ordered to not have any contact with Patricia while their cases were still pending. During Patricia's trial, her lawyer pulled the insanity card and tried getting Patricia off by claiming she was mentally ill. Well, well, I mean, yeah, who among us? <laughs> and also, like, the mental illness that stems from kidnapping a woman and tasing her and buying a burner phone with a check. And I mean, <laughs> that's mentally ill, like, alone. <laughs> Jeez. Patricia's lawyer said that Patricia had generalized anxiety disorder. Same. PTSD, panic attacks, and a personality disorder. So she's just a normal American. (laughs) It always makes me like, I don't know. I always just want to hit my head against a wall when lawyers grasp at straws like this. Because number one, you are demonizing the hell out of mental illness. Yeah. Like, hello, having panic attacks. Like, you don't black out during a panic attack and plan a murder. No. Like, you're not actively having a panic attack while buying a burner phone with a check. (laughs) You know what I do during a panic attack? I sit there and look catatonic because all I'm seeing in my eyes is just my eye, my tunnel vision is growing and it's getting all blurry and I feel like I need to die. I need to die. This bitch decides she needs to take out her checkbook (laughs) and buy a Nokia burner phone 
and have a threesome with pretty women and her gross husband in a trailer. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like, what part of anxiety and PTSD makes you plan a murder and stalk a woman? Yeah. And then carry it out, uh, carry out this plan on an innocent school teacher and single mom of a two-year-old. Yeah. I don't get it. That's not mental illness. No, that's just a terrible person. <laughs> right. On February 13th, 2015, Patricia Prue was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole after she pled guilty to charges of aggravated attempted murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. During her sentencing, Patricia apologized for the situation and also stated, quote, I want to apologize personally for the fact that my husband wasn't a strong enough human being to admit his wrongs and be able to take his rightful punishment willingly. <laughs> These two turned on each other like it's... I like how she got up to make an, a statement and she just <laughs> said, I'm sorry that my husband is an idiot. Oh my god! Right, and that he wasn't a strong enough human being to admit his wrongs. And then he's like, the only thing I have to apologize for is bringing this murder to right. Vermont. Right. Oh my god. And it's funny, too, because she pled guilty so she wouldn't have a trial. Right. And then she's standing there like, I'm so sorry for my husband's actions. And it's like, you just admitted that you were guilty, you stupid, dumb butthead. Oh my god. Right, I'm sorry my husband wasn't a strong enough human being to admit his wrongs and rightfully accept his plea. Like, I'm like, what? what holy I, I shit. Even deal. They hated each other by the end of this. Yeah, that's what happens when you murder someone together. <laughs> I'll tell you guys, I'll just, not from personal experience, but more just like understanding of true crime and all that. If you're in a relationship with someone and you together as a couple murder, that relationship will not last. You're not going to be bound in blood and love lust forever. Right. You're going to turn on each other when you get caught and you're going to hate each other and you're going to go to jail and it's going to be sad. Hiding a body together does not mean staying together. I want that tattooed on my breasts. Merch idea? Merch idea. <laughs> love that. That's a joke. That's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not real. Unless. No. No. But wow. It's horrible. And terrible and so sad that this beautiful, well-loved woman was murdered by a couple who was selfish and narcissistic and did not care that they took the life of a mother, of a sister, of a daughter, of a teacher who was so revered in her community. They just did not care. No. And the fact that they couldn't even admit that what they did was wrong or own up to it to begin with, and they're just pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. Evil, evil human beings. And it was very careless. The fact that, you know, they're doing all these things and, you know, we're laughing about it because it's so foolish, like it's right. so stupid. But just the fact that they were so careless that they yeah. did not give a fuck about this life that they took. Right. They tortured her. Yeah. And then took her life. They like, that's her crazy. so badly. So badly. And traumatized her two-year-old who so saw the whole thing and mm -hmm. had to be brought into the police station. Yeah. And is gesturing to his neck to tell the police what these people did to his mother. Recalling that his mommy was crying. And that's so sad. That's awful. The trauma they instilled upon this little oh my boy God. as well. She, it's not funny, but it's ironic. Because she claimed... PTSD, you know, her lawyers were like, PTSD, 
the PTSD she gave that poor little boy, you know, like it's ridiculous. Right. And how about all the kids that were expecting her at basketball practice? Yeah. Or the next time they went to class because she's their science teacher. Exactly. Or someone who was a regular at the restaurant she worked at. Right. Right. And loved her and would tip her every time and always look forward to seeing her. Right. That's heartbreaking. They had, it was almost the whole town, honestly, Mm -hmm. that went to mourn her and they had a service for her at the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was, the whole town was, like, beside themselves. Yeah. Such tragic life lost to these idiots. Like, the definition of dunce cap. Like, they are just so, oh, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But that's the story of the abduction and murder of Melissa Jenkins. Guys, we want to know what you think. First episode back, 2023, what did you think of this episode? Do you think Patricia was the mastermind? Do you think that it was more Alan than he was willing to admit? What are your thoughts and your feelings on this case? We really want to know. Um, you can find us on our Twitter and Instagram at truecrimene. Oh, lowercase. Or you can send us an email at our email address, which would be truecrimene at gmail.com. We also have a website, truecrimene.com. You could go to our contact page where we have a handy dandy submission tool. You could leave your name if you want to. You could be anonymous if you so choose. Send us cases, questions, comments, concerns. We also have, if you are on that page and want to scroll down a little lower, that's where our Buy Us a Coffee is. If you buy us a coffee, you'll get a shout out at the beginning of our next episode that we record. But honestly, once again, just being here, we really appreciate you guys. And we're so thankful uh, you're coming into the new year with us. And we hope you stick around and join us next year in 2024. I might be getting ahead of myself, but the sentiment is still there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. And uh, with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.